Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Recording in progress. Thank you, lady. Uh, if there's, if there's, <laughs> I always say thank you, just in case. You should, because the robots are listening. You know that. I say, I say please and thank you to our Alexa all the time. Just, you need just, to, because she could turn on you. Oh, hey, she could barbershop window you anytime she wants. <laughs> That's a fact. Robots are taking over. That's how we're starting this podcast. That's how we start it. Now arriving, as you've heard, on Cultaholic Island. He's a comedian, he's a commentator, he's a voice for hire, physiotherapist. Uh, he's a cat dad, he's a wrestling fan, and he's got a brand spanking new special out now, which we are going to get into the weeds on in a bit. Johnny LaCrosto, how you doing? Hello, my friend. It's been a long time. I know we, we spoke a couple of years ago about doing this. It didn't end up oh, happening, so I am uh, I'm to the moon to be uh, to be joined, joining you, I should say, especially when there's a lovely birdcage right over your left shoulder. Yeah, so this birdcage has followed uh, me and my wife-to-be uh, everywhere. Uh, it's, oh. it's, it's something from, from her house, I believe. There was another, there were before, now, if we'd done this interview when we initially spoke, there would have been a portrait picture uh, okay. of what looked like some ruins that were next to it, which came from her previous house as well. And I never, and I just put it up and didn't think any more of it. And then we were chucking stuff out the one day and I went, and she went, oh, you can get rid of that. I said, but this looks no. like it was from a lovely holiday. And she went, no, 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 that's just a picture frame that I bought. I don't know where that is. <laughs> well, it was just the, it was just the picture that came with the frame. I just didn't question it. I thought, oh, it's from a lovely holiday or something. It's been there well, for look, years. <laughs> there are certain things you got to keep. If you have a birdcage, you don't get rid of a birdcage. That's just how it is. The birds would be living. How many of your cats have you seen today? How many of your five have you seen today? Well, it's funny. The chair I'm sitting in right now, um, there's one cat that's quite pissed off. I had to pick her up and put her over on the bed because she was sprawled out. On actually, you know what? I even took a photo of it. Uh, it almost looked like she was ready to record, like she was oh, ready to go. Love her. So oh. I had to pick her up. Uh, there's another cat just over yonder. I'll say I'll give it about four feet in the top of a cat tree because she can look out uh, the window and see the entire neighborhood, you know. And so the other two are somewhere else. Um, I inherited 
all of them. Yeah, all this all. this kingdom is all yours. If we're sharing cat pictures, there's mine. Yeah. There's oh, pa- that. There's Pablo. Ooh, that, is that a, a green, all black, green eyed? Oh yeah. Yeah. He's so. Um, we, I'll share. A ver- I want to share this story anyway because it's quite. So we went away. This we went away uh, the other week, and so a friend of mine l- looked in on the cat, and so he's got a spare key to get in so we can check on him. Sure. And uh, he rang me like on our second night, and uh, I said, "Then all right." He went, "Not really. No, you don't want to oh. hear that. You don't want to hear that." And no. then he went, "Right, I don't know how to tell you this." I'm like, "Why?" He said, um, "But as I was coming to my apartment, I dropped my key. I dropped your key down the grate." I can't get it. I was like, Jesus, don't a, a keys replace it. We can figure that out. Never, ever, ever start a sentence with I'm, I'm not everything's not okay. I don't know how to tell you this. Never, ever, ever start yeah. a sentence like that. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I can't actually watch after your cats, but how's your trip? Oh, oh my god, I was furious. Anyway, uh, so congrats on the new special. We got to talk about you, Thank enough, you. Me. Uh Saudi stepdad. It's the story of uh, navigating dream jobs, dream family. People who followed you for so long, Johnny, would have you've these uh, you've had comedy uh, appearances that you've made and stand up routines that have been about sort of the, the the fumbles and the journey of being a single man. This feels so different because obviously, like you've t- you've taken on an entire family of four legged and two legged people. Like, yeah, there, there's still plenty of fumbles. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> yeah, as we I hear, mean, as we yeah, hear I'm, in Saudi stepdads, there's plenty. I'm a daily, I'm a daily fumble. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean it's crazy. Life has completely done a 180. And like I was telling you before we started recording, I've never really asked to do any kind of podcast um, over the last couple of years because uh, for me it was just like, especially when the whole big day release day happened so many people got released that day and we were in the height of the pandemic the world didn't know what was happening i'm like well i'm not i never to this day i've still never even put a tweet out saying hey i'm available for bookings because i mean april 2020 there's no bookings so Hmm. for me it was just like uh plus you never know what's going to happen in the future you know there's been talks about you know uh going back that kind of thing so for me um it's what putting the special out my wife actually convinced me to do it she said you're you have so much material just waiting. You're so different than you were when you put the last special out. You got to do this. So we kind of started planning it out. And you know, when I, when I came up with the special, I was like, well, I got to talk about life. I got to have a bit in there about pro wrestling. I got to have a bit in there about MMA. And I got to tell the story about how I even got here because the pandemic essentially led me to everything where I'm at now. And it's funny because like, I know I'm not the only person, a lot of people, you know, when, when you're in that system, that is your life. You are married to that company. You're married to that job. And it was amazing. And I loved it. And all of a sudden when it's like, when it's just like taken away, just like it was a couple of weeks ago to certain people, you don't, you're like, Oh, Oh God, what, what do I do now? This, I thought this was going to be the, the end game for the next 20 years. And you're like, uh Oh, it's not. And so um, the special kind of just dives into a little bit of that. And plus for me, I was married to my career uh, for my adult life. And now I have this amazing family and I'm like doing my best to balance it all, you know, still chasing every dream possible, but also making sure that I could be the best dad and husband possible. And, uh, it's, it, I drink a lot of coffee. Did I mention that? I'm doing, I'm doing a lot. <laughs> how many is that today? You've shown me one just now. How many is that? Yeah. Uh, what we on this, this is number one. So it's, it's one regular coffee and then a shot of espresso on top. And then I got some, uh, I got some collagen in there, two types of collagen, I got some MCT oil, pumpkin flavored, and then I got uh, some reishi mushroom in here. So I'm all hopped up. Nice. You're ready to go, which is good because mm-hmm. we're here to talk. Hey, 
when cultaholic comes calling you better be ready <laughs> until they can until they cancel then be ready again and then cancel then be ready again you were teasing me third time's a charm <laughs> edging you all the way baby uh we're going to talk about the special in a bit uh but we've got to talk wrestling because i've set you the the, the indomitable challenge uh, of choosing three wrestling matches johnny for you to watch while stranded metaphorically on a desert island Uh, Mm -hmm. and uh, and and i want to go one by one by one through them throughout the interview today uh but what would you like your first one to be I mean, in theory, if you're if you're going to take matches on a desert island, shouldn't they all be 60 minute broadways? At least you're going to be entertained. <laughs> yeah. uh, that, that, I mean, that's a good strategy. And you, you could yeah. you could go that way. You could. Uh, for me, you said, hey, choose the matches that that mean something to you. There's no judgment. There's no criticism. And so I'm going to hold you to it because my my list is, you know, I could choose the most classic matches everyone talks about. But for me, I'm I'm choosing the matches that like really. Uh, stand out to me a lot for different reasons. So I will start off. <laughs> I don't think anyone's ever chosen this. If I had to guess, I'm starting off with SummerSlam '91, the Jailhouse match between Big Boss Man and the Mountie. I'll take I, your reaction. Go ahead. Oh, I don't think that one's been chosen before. That's uh, that's a hell of a choice, though. I mean, that's one of those matches where it isn't so much about the quality of the wrestling, but all the fun in the build-up and especially all the fun after that match. I'm telling you, I I sing the Mounties' praises forever because he's a great example of taking a gimmick that really shouldn't have worked and he committed a zillion percent to it and he made it work in every way possible and just i remember that and that's one of my most memorable matches from childhood i think because as a little kid you're watching you're like he's he's really going to jail and just the way (laughs) number one the finish was great the finish kind of came out of nowhere it was an alabama slam i think was that was the finish but then you know, boss man and a couple other cops, they drag him out of the ring. They drag him to the back of the arena, drag him in the paddy wagon, but it doesn't stop there. Throughout the rest of SummerSlam, they keep checking back in at the local county jail and he's screaming. I think uh, one of my favorite, you can't fingerprint me. I'm the Mountie. Like, <laughs> so like many good his memories. Finger, like, no, <laughs> no. He just, oh, he plays it a an absolute treat all the way through. Yes, it was so committed and real and entertaining like he that could not have been better really and you like you said it was not a long match the story building up was really fun but to me that's one of the matches that are vivid in my memory from being a little kid because i'd never seen anything like it and what really sold it is when they kept checking back in at prison or at jail throughout the night and just to see how he was dealing with it and he was in complete and utter misery it was awesome you you talk about this being a match that you watched as a kid tell us where you would have been when you watched it Oh, I was at home uh, on a cheater box, as we called it, uh, stealing pay-per-views uh, with my with my parents. Oh, nice. So would this yeah. have been... Um, so these are the boxes that, that allowed you to have, you know, as we would call yeah. it over the UK, hooky pay-per-view. Um, was this a guy around the corner setting it up for you? Because <laughs> it tends to be over here. If you've got one of these boxes in the UK, there's a bloke in the pub that could sort it out for you. <laughs> You know a guy. I know um, a guy that could chip my PlayStation. Like that's that was my upbringing. So I I was too young to remember how we got it. All the I just remember it was just there behind our TV. Like it just magically appeared. I don't know if it was Santa or a fairy, but somehow it was just there. And it was really simple. It was just a, a wooden um, a plastic brown box with a red switch and a black switch. 
and you would hit the black switch and it would unscramble everything. And I remember like my dad's way of trying to make sure I didn't use it too much when they were gone. He would say, he's like, hey, when we hit that switch, the police know, like they get a notification about it. So when we're not home, (laughs) you know, but we would, yeah, we would get all the pay-per-views on the cheater box. That's what we called it. It was great. But you can't tempt a kid, like you said, you can't tempt a kid with a big red button. That's just... Mm -mm. Every asking time. for trouble <laughs> did you Every have morning. any did you have any uh friends that were wrestling fans growing up yeah i mean my uh oldest friend in life we met when we were four years old he lived two doors down i went to my very first ever live event with him at the allentown fairgrounds and all i remember is the main event was a junkyard dog and outlaw ron bass and uh I didn't remember much else about it, but my buddy recently told me when I mentioned it to him because I found the old flyer for it. He said, yeah, man, the main event only went like two minutes. I don't know what happened. So I apparently, I don't know if one of the guys was hurt or something went wonky in the match, but I guess the main event only lasted a few minutes, but that was the main at at an old house show at the Allentown Fairgrounds. So like definitely had some wrestling friends. My brother loved to grow up. My dad loved to grow up. So we would all watch together. You've done so many things. It's like you, you chase so many dreams and you talk about it a lot in your special. You're very open about it everywhere else. But let's go back to, to, to young Johnny at, in Allentown at the mm. fairgrounds. Like, what was the dream when you, were, when you were at that age? Did you have something in mind yet? I kid you not, and my parents can vouch for this, the first thing I said when I was seven years old is I want to be a sports commentator because I was watching WWF. I was watching... Gorilla and Bobby behind me here. I was watching Harry Callis call the Phillies and I was fascinated with the storytellers. I was fascinated with their voices. If you Google Harry Callis, listen to his voice. I mean, he just had that like cigar smoking seasoned voice. And then, you know, you have guys like Gorilla. Gorilla was just, he knew how to not only protect the baby face, but Gorilla just, he had, he was so authentic and so sincere with everything he said. And then you have Bobby who was the best at anything he did there. They were just magic together. And there's a lot of amazing commentary combinations over the year, but I'm just lucky that I, I got to. And then of course, Jesse Ventura was along with gorilla and then macho man, you know, things changed, but that was like the earliest thing I remember is just the, the storytelling. So when I was seven years old, the first thing I said is I want to be a sports commentator. I didn't even know what that really meant. And so, you know, I was going to say, I was intrigued to know, cause when I was, uh, when I was younger, I wanted to be a radio presenter. So I had a uh, radio, uh, like a radio setup in my room with a karaoke microphone and I'd record shows there. Did young Johnny LaQuasto have a similar thing chasing that dream of being a sports commentator? Are there tapes somewhere of a young Johnny doing sports commentary? I would just turn the volume down and I would try to call stuff. But my buddy and I thought we were going to be music stars when we were like nine years old. So what we would do is we would take uh, the cassette tape. And at this time, the cassette had a little button where you can record stuff on the cassette recorder. So we would take another cassette recorder. We would play instrumental songs from different bands and we would write our own lyrics. And we actually made two of our own albums that I wish he claims they're somewhere in his house or in his parents' house. And that's what we did. We messed around with uh, trying to make our own music albums at like 10 years old. And we wrote parody songs because I loved Weird Al, because of course. And so a combination of doing that and then calling matches and stuff uh, on silent is kind of how I spent a lot of my childhood. I'm fascinated by this album. Like, uh, did did the band have a name? Spike and Ike. (laughs) Spike and Ike, come on. That's right, dude, yeah. 
We had uh, I forget what the first album was called, but the second album we called Roadkill. And what we did was we went out into his front yard and he had an Alf. Remember Alf the from Melmac? He had an Alf stuffed animal. And so he just threw Alf on the road and we just posed with it and we took a picture and the album was called Roadkill. <laughs> Keep in mind, I was also about 160 pounds at this time. I was like a fat kid. So like just me next to Alf. I mean, it's a classic album cover. I think. It's, <laughs> it's up there with Nirvana. Nevermind, in my humble opinion. You've talked about uh, growing up as a fat kid as well in, in, in your in your comedy in your comedy sets as well. You've been very open about that. Um, and, and to see you now, you would never know that was the case. You've you know, there's there's. Yeah, but when was the turning point in that? Was there was there a turning point? Kind of high school. But then once I decided to be a physical therapist, I hit my like sophomore year in college. And I'm like, well, if I'm going to be a PT giving people advice. I want to look like I should be giving advice. And then so I just flipped the switch into becoming like you know, just kind of like a health nut. And now that I'm like, you know, we're all aging. I'm becoming like a big biohacking, I think is my number one hobby. <laughs> like just coming up with, I just mentioned all the shit I threw in my coffee. I, I, a lot of people probably have no idea what any of that is, but I love it. So I'm always a big supplement guy. Um, and so for me, that's, that's kind of where it happened. Like early on in college is when I decided like, Hey, you know, I want to be able to I want to be, if I'm going to be a presenter or I'm going to be a physical therapist, I want to make sure that like, I, I look the part, you know? Actually, I want to, on the biohacking thing, I want to go back to that coffee because you you did list off uh, a lot of stuff there. You said collagen and my brain went, oh, for, for your implants. Uh, so I, that, cause, cause that's what you think when you hear oh, it. So, you know, talk, yes. No. Yes. Talk, talk us, I noticed they look fabulous. Um, talk us through all the, 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 the things you've got in your coffee and why. Yeah. If you, if you, if you're happy to give some free PT, yeah, of course. So collagen protein, it's essentially now if you have to avoid dairy, you might want not even you don't want to use too much of it because it does come from cows. But collagen protein has been proven to be really good for your joints, for your skin, for your hair, for your nails. It's kind of like it's kind of like a fountain of youth in a way. And so it mixes in perfectly with coffee. Um, and then MCT oil is actually pure coconut oil that's been shown to be really good for the brain. Uh, also just good for the body as a whole. It's like the kind of good fat that you could burn throughout the day. And then uh, reishi mushroom has been shown to be essentially like they call it the all around mushroom. It's just good for general health. So I buy uh, straight up reishi powder. I throw it in the coffee. And uh, those are the three things. Yeah. Nice, nice. So uh, we'll, we'll we'll get into sort of where people go to to get more advice from you on that in a little bit as well. Yeah. Uh, let's do your second match. We started strong. It's oh, a jailhouse yeah. match from SummerSlam. What's your second mm -hmm. one going to be then, Johnny? Second one, and this goes back to uh, 2011. And this is this is such a good memory for me because I remember I had to go to, and I was already working in wrestling at the time back in 2011, and I was working for United Wrestling Network, Championship Wrestling from Hollywood, and. I went to like a friend's barbecue where he must've had 30 or 40 people over him and his wife at the house. And I was like, it was on a Sunday. I was like, here's the deal, man. I'm like, there's a pay-per-view I really need to see. He's like, well, if you want to buy it, I guess you could watch it at the house. I was like, okay. So I bought money in the bank, spent the 50 bucks, 60 bucks, whatever it was. And at the beginning of it, I was pretty much by myself and people were just making snide remarks, laughing like, oh, you still watch wrestling? I'm like, yeah, I do. Shut up. You know, and I'm trying to enjoy it <laughs> by the time the main event hits and the story has been told between Cena and punk and truly people didn't really know what was going to happen. I'm not kidding. When I say 80% of that barbecue were stuck to the television screen in the living room, totally sucked in 
watching that main event and it did not disappoint. It was truly incredible. So as a fan, as an, as an adult fan, that's why I chose that match. Cause I, I vividly remember that like everyone got on board and I'm like, you see, that's why pro wrestling is the greatest form of live entertainment on the planet. You dummies. Because so. because people are happy to dismiss it, but the moment you put something on in the background, like it's it's the same with 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 so many people that if it's the right story and the right people, you get them. And Punk and Cena is the right story, isn't it? It was gorgeous, and of course, you know, there's there the video packages all the way through that tell the story. All you need is that four minute video package before the match, and anyone who hasn't watched knows what's going down. And the story they told was incredible. Even when Punk left and waved goodbye and blew the kiss, you didn't. None of us really knew what was going to happen. So that that was the beauty of it. And unlike any other one as well, I think we the curtain gets pulled back way too often now. But this was at a point where it didn't. And to to have CM Punk looking down the the breaking the fourth wall and and, and talking about storylines that didn't happen, talking about things would be better when Vince McMahon's dead. Uh, and it, it was it was groundbreaking stuff. And then to have that banger of a match as well and still keep fans like you and I guessing, that's a special yeah. skill that CM Punk has, isn't it? It's very difficult to do these days. And uh, even in 2011, it was difficult to do. And that's why I think it really... Um, just resonates well, what led to you so you say at this point uh you were with championship wrestling from from hollywood was it hollywood or from florida uh it was hollywood, hollywood. from hollywood from hollywood uh so talk to us about how this gig came about because uh, we've talked about johnny as wanting to be a sports announcer so how did you get involved with them well uh basically around 2010 i was working uh, i was already doing on-camera hosting and i was uh working on some kind of project just started talking with the camera guy about wrestling and little did i know he was friends with david marquez and that the time david marquez was about to start weekly television for it was nwa championship wrestling from hollywood at the time and so he met with myself and a good buddy of mine Stu stone on the same day and he basically said he's like hey um i got an opportunity for you i need someone to do some backstage interviews and would you like to do it i i was already in before he even asked me and that's kind of how it started uh we would you know our very first taping was in orange county california in 2010 my first backstage interview ever was scrap iron adam pierce who's become you know one of my best friends in professional wrestling i think he's one of the reasons i got my job with wwe because he guys like him and nigel spoke so strongly of me and i'm grateful to to both of them to this day and so that's kind of how that became about. And then over the years, over the next nine years, I did everything possible with a microphone, everything possible backstage for championship wrestling. It's turned into such an amazing product. And that's kind of, you know, it leads to my third match, but then it also led to my opportunity with WWE, I think. Uh, did the dream job with WWE, did that catch you by surprise? Oh, yeah. Did not, you know, I was at the point where I said, you know what, I'm just going to be grateful that I'm working in professional wrestling. It's hard when you know what your talent level is, though, and you feel like people aren't noticing. Like, that was the hard part. But I, but I said, I'm like, you know, there aren't many opportunities out there for a guy on the broadcasting side of things. I'm not living on the East Coast where everyone pays attention to. No one pays attention to the West Coast unless you're PWG for many, many years. That's pretty much just how it was. And so I kind of just said, hey, you know what? I'm working in wrestling. I'm going to be as good as I could possibly be. I'm going to make sure I'm undeniable. If an opportunity comes up, great. If not, what am I going to do? I'm going to be a professional at the end of the day. I'm not going to bother anybody. And that's so, yeah, the opportunity was very, very surprising. Um, I was chatting. You've, you mentioned how Adam Pierce and Nigel McGuinness uh, putting 
strong words for you as well. Um, once you enter that machine, I know that you had a really strong influence on on Brennan or Marseille, as many will know, because we were chatting Man. the other night and and he was putting you over like Rover, sir. Uh, and and the the story that he told, and I would like you to tell it because we haven't heard uh, we haven't heard Marseille's story on the podcast feed yet. Because uh, you're pretty much you're you're the guy that that pretty much got him onto the raw commentary team. So that's the cool thing about when you great. end up having an experience working for WWE, the coolest stories. And, and trust me, Mansoor and Brennan have been talking about them on their, on their Twitch, which is so entertaining and so funny because they legitimately are best friends and they are both stars. They're so talented. There's nothing they can't do. I can't speak more highly of them as human beings and, uh, and just friends and also as talent. And so, yeah, um, the, the, the behind the scenes stuff always make the best stories. So when I was at the PC, I had nobody to call matches with. There were no other broadcasters there. But yet I had to figure out how to be a play-by-play broadcaster for this company because, you know, there are certain things that you're taught. And it did make me so much better as a broadcaster to where now I could, you know, feel like I can call anything. But at the time, I had to ask wrestlers to join me. And I knew Brennan for about five years before I got there. So we were already friends. He was the first guy I went to because I was like – it's weird walking up to, hey, you want to go call matches over in the, <laughs> over in the VO booth? Because they're busy. They're, they're training. They're, they're going to skull sessions. They got a lot going on. They don't want to just, a lot of them don't want to sit down and call matches just for fun. So he was the first guy to do it. Well, then he told Manny. Mansoor joined in. And then I became really close with, uh, you know, uh, 3.0, 2.0, you know, Matt Menard and, and uh, Cool Hand Ange. And so we all became really close. Well, Matt loves talking as we know so uh he started joining me a lot and then throughout my time i mean i'm trying to think of everyone who joined me in commentary there were there were times where um there was a show that never really uh got seen by the public called pc underground and it was a really unique way of shooting wrestling and our commentary team for that was was me uh savvy piscatelli aka tino savatelli and tegan knox because tegan was uh, still recovering from injury at the time so like we had to call matches for a while together and we did some stuff and, and that was fun. And then there are other times where like, you know, uh, Raquel Gonzalez would jump in just for fun or like you know, Chelsea Green occasionally would call matches. And, you know, thank God she's finally getting her just due because I'm sure if, if she heard me compliment her, she would just completely trash me, which I would expect nothing less. But <laughs> like she's incredible. And, and I'm so glad that finally the world is seeing her talent being showcased for how entertaining she truly is. Cause she has been for years. I mean, we had a lot of fun uh, calling matches and just, you know, we were doing at one point a, uh, a weekly show um, just kind of promoting the local Florida events. We got one episode in and then the pandemic hit and that was it. <laughs> but like Chelsea was like a little part of that as well. So there, you know, so Brennan and I, we were just calling matches. Mansoor was calling matches and just one day they decided to do a shakeup on the commentary teams, I guess. And, uh, you know, uh, they were sending our matches that we would call to Connecticut and, and to whoever wanted to listen. Next thing I know, they threw Brennan on 205 Live. And then a couple of weeks later, he's like, hey, I'm doing Raw on Monday. And I was like, what are you doing on Raw? He's like, commentary. And mm-hmm. I said, okay, we got to practice. And so we would just call as many matches as we could to kind of get them ready for it because it he didn't see it coming, but at the same time, what an opportunity he got to do it for however many months it was, but it all stemmed from him and Mansoor saying yes and calling matches with me for the hell of it. And that's how Manny and I got to do one episode of two Oh five together. 
as uh, the most inexperienced team in WWE history, I believe. <laughs> One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When we think of the PC, we think of people just going in to wrestle. Uh, so you don't think of people like yourself who were there. Well, no, I'm not here to wrestle. I'm here to learn to be a broadcaster. Uh, yep. When you, the time that you were there, did the the facilities for you to train change in any way, or was it a case of you were just sort of left just to find your own voice? Stuff got moved around. Um, initially, the the VO booth or the commentary booth was in one part, and then they moved it to a, a separate section, like a different warehouse and stuff like that, where it was actually. It was even bigger, so it was a much better thing. Like, um, actually, on uh, on on TV days for NXT, uh, for a good number of months, uh, Beth Phoenix would always come in early, and then her and I would work on stuff together uh, for NXT television before she went to do the broadcast. We would work on, you know, um, graphics. We would work on uh, transitions, just like all the all the basic stuff that we all you know need help with. And so her and I would do that stuff together. And I mean, what a joy it is to work with her i mean i can't speak more highly of her as a human being what you see on tv is is 100 who she is just an amazing person and a pleasure to work with and so like stuff got moved around a lot but you just got to roll with the punches like for me i've always been a first one in last one to leave mentality like i i i, I tried to be a sponge i soaked up everything i could at that job because i didn't take it for granted i knew they could have hired a number of other people. And I was like, I'm going to make sure that I don't make anyone regret this. And I feel like I did that. Unfortunately, you know, when the pandemic hits, none of us saw that coming. So, you know, what can you do? But my, my year there, I'm incredibly proud of it. I think my work speaks for itself. And uh, it also made me so much better, you know, being taught by guys like Tom Hannafin and, and Vic Joseph and Michael Cole and then, you know, being next to Matt Raywalt. I mean, he's an incredible color commentator. So like you learn from those people. And if you actually let it sink in, it's going to, it's going to make you so much better. Like to me, once I, I finished there, I was like, well, 
I mean, why can't I do other stuff? And that's what I've kind of transitioned to because with WWE, it's about storytelling. Like, sure, I can call matches before I got there, but you learn storytelling and you learn what works. And I think that's one of the big things that's missing, especially on the independent scene, even sometimes on television, but especially on the independent scene is promotions don't want to spend money on commentators. They just want to use t- local people and just throw them out there. And I'm, I'll am i be honest, I'm glad wrestlers are finally being vocal about it. If, if someone's calling a match of theirs and they're doing a horrible job or they're getting themselves over or trying to, or they're just not paying attention, like I'm glad men and women who are in the ring, who are putting their bodies on the line, are calling this bullshit out because it's not fair to them. The commentary needs to be taken seriously. Storytelling, storytelling needs to be taken seriously. Like, yes, if it's a comedy match, sure, you could have some fun. But there's way too much of that I see on the internet. There's way too much people going for just the the cheap reaction, the cheap pop on commentary. And so that's that's the number one thing with WWE. You learn storytelling. And that's my ultimate goal every single time. That's why any event I call, I reach out to the wrestlers ahead of time. Hey, anything you want to tell me, that I can get over for you. I do that with MMA. I do that with boxing because I want to tell the story. I want to tell your personal story. All right. I want to get people invested if they're watching. And I think a lot of that is really lacking, especially in professional wrestling today. I don't think commentary is taken serious enough. And honestly, it falls on the promotions. If you want your matches to sound good, you got to have good people calling it. That's my soapbox. I'm going to have some. I'm with you. I'm with you on it because because it's true. You listen to there's there's a, there's a lot of great wrestling products that are ruined by the fact they've just a very it's a very last minute thought. Oh, we'll just put somebody on to talk over it, and it's like well, no, spend us you know spend the money on getting the talent as you would getting the talent for the for in ring. Spend yeah. that money on talent for commentary. It's it, they don't they won't do it because and obviously maddening. commentary commentary is not selling tickets. That's why and I. I do understand that to a point. But in a way, but at the it same is time, though, because if you watch something on on YouTube that has you know, a great production value and, and a great story being told through the commentator, that will sell tickets. And I am a show. Some com some companies do realize that. Like the few mm. I'm working for now, uh, as far as wrestling goes, they realize that and they brought me in, and I do appreciate that. But yeah, it, it's you know, it's one of those things where, as a color commentator, yeah, you could be a character. Sure. Hopefully the color commentators is a wrestler because that's, you know, given the expertise and you could be a little outlandish, but the play-by-play guy, like, I don't know, call me a traditionalist. I don't think the play-by-play guy should be an, an outlandish character. You know what I mean? Like I, when I see, like, when I see these guys give themselves a nickname or like uh, they're wearing like flashy jackets to get attention on themselves, I'm like, bro, you're not the story here. Like watch the match. Like that's the story. And this is not anyone in particular. I'm just saying, like, you see it a lot. And I'm like, look, man, know your role. The play-by-play guy's job is to tell the story, be neutral, drive the traffic, kick to your partner, and tell the best story possible. Uh, you were at the PC, and obviously you helped with with Brennan to get him onto Raw, and you were working with people like Beth Phoenix and other people that were coming in. Um, but all the while, you hadn't, I, I believe by that point, you hadn't made your first appearance on TV yet. You were working through the process there. Yep. What was some of the feedback that you were getting whilst you were watching people come in, work with you, and then go on to things? And, and where were you at headspace-wise with that going on? That was the crazy thing, because like, 
you know, like I said, I can call matches before I got there, but learning the storytelling, uh, understanding the structure of, of WWE matches, you know, whether it be uh, the shine up front or then, you know, the cutoff and then getting into the heat. And you learn a lot about that, even at the NXT live events, um, you know, watching people work through their matches there. And so, you know, I would call as many as I could. I would send them on to my superiors. I would get feedback essentially like, Hey, um, you know, you got to protect the baby face better here. Or if you're going to commercial, you don't want to talk about the heel. You want to talk about the baby face. If they're in peril, you got to mention it. If they're in control, you got to mention it. Like little things like that, that um, you always want to keep in your brain because it it works. Like I know a lot of wrestling fans might be listening to me saying, oh, whatever, man, There's, that's only one way of doing it. Sure, but it's the most effective way of doing it. It's like Al Snow said recently, I don't want to be called old school because until there's a new school that's better, don't call me old school. That's kind of, <laughs> you know, there's certain things that just work in professional wrestling. And that's just my opinion on it. So yeah, I, it, it would be feedback like that. Um, as far as, uh, you know, making sure that you get the go home call, always make sure you call every pin attempt. Every pin attempt could be the end of the match. So you don't want to be like, and a cover. No, you want to have a little energy behind it. And, you know, if your partner is talking, they need to know, hey, I'm going to call this pin attempt here just continue your sentence as if I didn't interrupt you. Like little things like that just add to the fluidity of the whole thing. Um, your your dream job came as the pandemic was hitting. It was an awful time and you've talked very openly about it for a while. And I want to kind of look at this from your perspective. We talk about messaging and what the what you're sort of instilled in you to the stories to tell during that. What was some of the messaging that you were getting from WWE in terms of how you were framing the wrestling action whilst very clearly the world was shutting down. Was there sort of a, a protocol that you were given? Um, Basically, like, the, the mindset was, like, we were all kind of clueless to what the world was going to deal with, you know? But we all looked at it this way, like, hey, we have a job to do. Let's try to put smiles on faces. I know that's an overused term, but it really is true. There's nothing better... Then when you're at a live event and you see little kids smiling because it brings you back to childhood, like, oh, there's a memory they're always going to have, you know? And that's what we tried to do. I remember, I forget exactly what I said on the first 205 after the pandemic hit when things shut down, but it was something that like, you know, in these very uncertain times, we're going to focus on what we do best. And that is bringing the action and, you know, entertaining you. And that's really what, that's true. Like, that's really what it was. You, you showed up, you did the best job possible with no audience and, and you did what you could. But other than that, it was just um, every day you just had to wait and see like, okay, is anything changing? No. Okay. We're going to work. Cool. Let's just do that. And so um, I'm grateful. I'm grateful to be a part of that team during that time. Cause I thought as far as commentary, the thing that changed was it really had to be conversational because there was no noise from an audience. So when you're calling matches, you're really, you really got to be careful about when you ramp up. You don't want to ramp up too early in a match because then guess what? Where, where are you at? You're up here now? Uh-oh. So it really taught you how to be even more conversational when you're calling an empty arena everything, you know? And now days before the mm -hmm. pandemic, I love this story. Days before the pandemic, you and Gregory Helms just decided to drive to Niagara Falls. <laughs> We did. Like, let's go on a let's go on a road trip. And um, what was the? I mean, what was the the temperature backstage when when all this was happening? Obviously, you and Gregory going off to Niagara Falls is just you guys. Would you were you aware that the world was shutting down at that point? We had a, I we had a feeling. It was March sixth. It was a Friday night. Uh, SmackDown was in Buffalo, and 
you know, Shane and I go way back. We've been to the Middle East together for Armed Forces Entertainment. Uh, I'm grateful to have him as a friend. And he's one of the greatest ever. I mean, if his work more than speaks for itself. And you talk about a brilliant wrestling mind. Also, quite frankly, the funniest person you'll ever meet. I mean, he is truly brilliantly funny. So we were, you know, in the locker room. Uh, we were talking and I was like, hey, um, just in case, like, we can't do anything in a couple of days. You want to drive Niagara Falls after TV? <laughs> he goes, okay. <laughs> so we did. We drove up to Niagara Falls. And of course, I really didn't know where I was going. At one point, like we crossed the border and I'm seeing nothing. It's just darkness. <laughs> I know we're in Canada. And I know I'm supposed to be somewhere near the falls. My GPS is telling me that. But then the reception became so poor, the GPS stopped. And I remember like, I'm starting to get nervous. And I remember Shane just looks at me and he just starts laughing. He goes, you don't know where the fuck we are, do you? I'm like, no, I don't. <laughs> and just what I think we're not going to find anything over the small little horizon there on the left-hand side, we start to see the falls and we're like, yeah. So we drive over and there's nowhere to park. Keep in mind, this is, oh boy, um, 11 PM at night. So we just pulled over. I'm not kidding. Right next to Niagara Falls and parked in the dirt. We got out in our suits. It was cold. It was windy. And we stood there for about five minutes. We checked it out and we're standing there just taking it in the silence. And he, he turns to me, he goes, you want to get the fuck out of here? I'm like, yeah. So <laughs> we jumped back, back in the car. We drove back to the hotel. It was awesome. And it would have probably been the last trip that you would have made for a while as, really the, as, as things as things would transpire. So um, grateful for that, man. Uh, you, you took a phone call from WWE about two hours after you wrapped. Uh, and and it was that phone call. Um, at the risk of sound a bit glib, was it was it one you maybe saw coming? No, no, not at all. I mean, I was um, I had just got done filming on camera intros for Two Hundred Five Live because they decided the next month was going to be feature episodes where each episode featured a certain superstar. And so I wrote all the intros and I went in and filmed them with you know who's now a very good friend of mine still with the company, and we filmed them. And we found out at noon there was going to be uh, something we had to watch on our phones or computers, whatever. So I went home that day because I was not scheduled to be at TV and uh, watched the little two-minute thing. Still thought nothing of it because it kind of went over my head a little bit. And I was like, all right, well, I don't know what that means exactly, but we'll see what happens. And um, uh, about uh, five minutes later, I tried to send an email. I couldn't send an email. Uh, tried to log back in, couldn't do that. And then a couple minutes later, I got a phone call. And that's when it hit me. I was like, Oh, oh, wait, this is going to, this is about to happen and got on the phone and sure enough, uh, yeah, everything, everything changed in a matter of moments, which happens, you know, it's almost like, uh, it, it, it literally is a little bit of PTSD. Every time there's these mass releases, like just a couple of weeks ago, you feel for everyone, you know, it's just, um, it's, it's not the easiest thing in the world, uh, to deal with, you know, especially when it's not performance based, you know, when, when the pandemic hit, that was crazy. Like, there, what can you do, you know? Because so many of your avenues all of a sudden closed uh, and they became cul-de-sacs and you couldn't go. And, and that sort of, for the, and for the rest of the world, this was very much the case, but everybody has their own stories to tell them for you. Uh, it was a real duff, a dark one that you apparently took seven hours to grieve over and then you go mm. again because that's what you do. What did, yep. you, what did you learn about yourself, a bit spiritual, but what did you learn about yourself during uh, that particular week? picking yourself up and going again it was one of those things where i knew i couldn't do anything entertainment based wrestling was not going to happen stand-up was not going to happen uh, and so i 
got my physical therapy license back <clears throat> and I went back to the front line. I, I worked on in two hospitals during the, the two biggest peaks of COVID. And you, you want to talk about surreal. It's just, you know, what you learn is you realize that you just got to keep moving. And eventually, I think being patient is the hard part. I think a lot of times we don't want to be patient with ourselves. Uh, we don't want to give ourselves time to figure it out. So for me, I was working in hospitals. I remember there were those moments where I'm fully gowned up, like hazmat suit style, about to go into like my fifth COVID room of the day. And I remember thinking, I'm like, as I put the mask on, it's not easy to breathe. I'm like, oh my God, a number of months ago, just a couple of months ago, I was broadcasting on TV. Just a couple of months ago, I had a microphone in front of 13,000 people in Staples Center in the ring. And I'm like, now I'm seeing these people that are struggling to breathe. Like it just puts everything in perspective, you know, where, yeah, you could feel sorry for yourself, but at the same time, I'm grateful that I'm helping these people out. And I, I knew eventually we would get through it. And it was actually um, a weekend where I false tested positive for COVID and I couldn't do anything for a couple of days. It's when I just started emailing, cold emailing combat sports companies galore with, you know, resume, footage, background, the whole thing. And it slowly led to stuff because no one's going to feel sorry for you. Like none's going to be handed to you. I'm, I'm grateful for that opportunity. The world changed, you know, we have to change with it. So I guess the, the spiritual thing of it is that you're capable of anything and you truly don't know what is coming next. What you say yes to today could lead to another bigger yes tomorrow. Um, you met, you alluded to it a little bit earlier. Uh, has WWE reached out since? I keep that to myself for the most part, but I mean, look, I look at it this way. I, I'm open to anything. Like I, I, I left on great terms. I'm very proud of my work. I was told that, you know, I surpassed all expectations. And um, for me, it's like right now I'm focused on so many things, whether it's voiceover, whether it's stand-up, and obviously I'm calling MMA, boxing, and pro wrestling. You know, I'm the play-by-play -play guy for the ultimate women of wrestling, UWW, alongside Melina and Rampage Jackson. There's a team for you. Um, right? Uh, I'm actually going to be calling Spark Joshi uh, this Wednesday, the 11th in Los Angeles, and also Sun uh, Saturday, the 14th in Orlando. They're kind of an upstart Joshi company that's um, really turning some heads. Which yeah, I'm fascinated that. by this. What a what a what a what a what a great startup this is turning into. I'm very excited for yeah. it, and the owner has been a pleasure to deal with. So I'm very excited to be working with them. And like you said, I'm I'm freelancing, man. Like I'm I'm very proud to be working for Titan FC on UFC Fight Pass. Um, you know, undisputed promotions on Fight TV with boxing, and basically anyone else that comes along, like. Could I be tossed on national television this week? Oh, I'm ready. But you just don't know what opportunities are going to be there. So for me, it's like I just keep forging ahead as a professional, knowing that there really isn't anybody out there with my skill set. On top of everything I've done, I'm calling every combat sport possible, master's degree in physical therapy. No commentator knows the body like me. And so it's a matter of just waiting for my time, staying sharp, working when I can, and you never know what opportunities are going to come up because I feel like I've, uh, I've been a great person to work with. I think I'm a, an easy professional to work with. And so uh, looking forward to the future. And I'm grateful that we got to ham it up about wrestling for a little. We never said my third match, by the way. I know. I was going to say the one thing that nobody else has that you have is this, this the trifecta of matches that you have chosen for yeah, your Desert right. Island. So your third and final match, sir, what will it be? Real quick, it all ties it in. WrestleMania 35. I'm not kidding when I say I had my contract. I got the contract that day that I flew to New York 
to go to WrestleMania weekend. And my seats for WrestleMania could not have been higher. If you recall, it was rainy, it was windy, it was freezing at the top of Giant Stadium. So to me, it was basically watching, you know, Brian Danielson and Kofi Kingston, and of course, Ronda, Becky, and Charlotte in the main event. Both, both of them, just incredible moments for different reasons. But I remember sitting at the top of this stadium, freezing, knowing that I had a contract back at the hotel that I was literally sending overnighting the next day, saying to myself, I go, I'm up here freezing right now, but next year I might be somewhere down there. And that is a moment I'll never forget. And that's why I wanted to put those out there, you know, those two matches out there, because you're sitting there at the end of a long night and you're like, I love this. I'm here because I love this, but oh my God, I just got a job with that company down there. That was a crazy moment. It's all about dream jobs, which is a big part of your brand new special, uh, yeah. Saudi Stepdad, which is on YouTube now. Uh, I, I want to very quickly touch on this before we let you go. Um, does the pressure hit a bit different when it's not so much a, t uh, a 10 or 15 mil, 20 minute set, but a special? Does the pressure hit different? Yeah, to a certain extent. Like when I shot the new special, I did two shows in one night, just like I did with the previous one. But the, the key is you want to nail it the first time. So the second show can just be fun and you can just be a little bit looser with it. Luckily, that's how that's how it worked out. Um, you know, I was really happy with the first show. Use some stuff from the second show. There are certain things like when I speak Arabic uh, in, in the set, because, you know, my wife's from Saudi Arabia in between shows, she kind of coached me. She's like, well, you kind of said this wrong. You kind of said this too fast. <laughs> so on the second show, focus on your, on the Arabic jokes more. And it ended up working perfectly thanks to her guidance because, uh, you know, to an Arabic speaking audience, it's going to, they're going to understand it a lot more, you know, things like that. So yeah, there's always pressure. Cause you know, you got to deal with are people coming, how many tickets are sold, you know, is the venue going to be set up correctly? You have a whole production team. But there's no feeling like it, you know, it's, I'm so proud of the special, just being able to tell my story and, and talk about, you know, my family now. And, you know, we truly are, uh, as I say in the special, people call us a, a modern blended family, um, which apparently means I'm white and they're not. That's what people mean. <laughs> That's basically what it means. <laughs> but it, it's the best, man. It's, I'm really proud of the special and I'm very grateful to anyone who wants to give it a watch. 43 minutes and it's on YouTube for free. And where can people go to keep up with, to watch that and keep up with everything that you're up to as well, Johnny? Uh, easy. YouTube.com slash Johnny LaQuasto or um, Quasto on all socials, J-Q-U-A-S-T-O. And uh, I don't really post too much on Twitter, mostly just promoting stuff because as we know, Twitter is a bit of a hellscape. Um, and I want to say congratulations to you. Uh, you know, you got the Impact Tour coming up, which is oh. great. They're Amazing to work with. It. They are. I, I'm. I'm so excited because obviously you've been there. Any. Any advice? Any advice I can pick from your brain about it, please. I, I think, help. like I told Johnny, you, help, 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 no, help, no, no. help, help. Here's the thing: you have the luxury of knowing way ahead of time. I found out I was doing multiverse 24 hours ahead. So oh, that's like loads of time. <laughs> it's not loads of time. I mean, I, I, I thought I had most of the card, and then it's, yeah, I'm a big fan of like when it comes to wrestling ring announcing. I try not to use. I don't want to use any no cards. I want to have it in my brain. So like a matter of just getting it all written out, trying to make sure I get everything correct, even before the show. I'm making sure that the information is correct. So since you have the time, it's just I would say go back and watch the broadcast so you can hear the announcements for a lot of their stars that are going to be on the tour. That way, boom, you already got it written down. 
you have time to practice and also just uh, really take your time. It's easy to, to, our brains move faster than they should. It's really easy to rush, but don't take your time with the announcements. Uh, really um, just speak from down here, not in the throat. You want to go diaphragm. The diaphragm. You really yeah. You want to work from down here. Cause that way at the end of the night, your throat's not going to be hurting. And also your voice will be deeper if you talk from down here as opposed to up here. Cause that's the terrifying bit. Cause normally I do, I'll do North wrestling in Newcastle, but there's one show every six weeks. So the next day I can just, you know, drink a lot of hot lemon and I'll be fine by Monday. Uh, but mm -hmm. three on the bounce, that's the new challenge. <laughs> that's the new you're gonna, challenge. You're going to crush it. It's going to be amazing. Oh. I loved uh, the video with Hendry uh, telling you about it. It was incredible. But no, um, of course, hot tea every day, Bless. hot tea every night with lemon and honey, do that whole thing. But just really, really take your time and just trust your voice. Don't feel like you have to go overboard. Your voice is already going to be strong enough to carry it. God love you. God love you. Hey, the, the, no, enough about me. The trusted voice of Johnny Loquasto joining us on Cultaholic Island. Follow every step he makes and go and check out for the love of God, Saudi stepdad. It's a lovely three quarters of an hour that you'll be glad you spent with Johnny. Yes. Thank you so much for joining us on Cultaholic Island. Please, let's find an excuse to do this again. I would love to. It was an honor. So much fun talking about the thing we love. And hey, if you're a promotion, let's work together. I'm open. Let's go. Get Johnny on your books, you <laughs> cowards. <laughs> As my book wife would say, you cowards, you cowards. As my wife you would say, you buggers, you buggers, book him. <laughs>Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. For all the wrestling headlines in just 10 minutes, search Cultaholic Wrestling News on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. 